What do we do with John Piper? Why is he linked arms with so many false teachers? What's up with John Piper on this slice of fresh bread? Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. Pastor Brandon, Pastor Keith. Well, thanks for clicking on Fresh Bread, Fresh Bread podcast number 38. I'm Pastor Keith, he's Pastor Brandon, and today we are going to look at John Piper. The reason we're doing this is not to try to belittle John Piper or anything, but we're just trying to understand where some of his views are coming from, because there is a little bit of a odd oddity to John Piper, but yet there's some good to John Piper, so we're trying to figure it all out. And the reason, again, we are doing this is because we live in a, a time where we have to be careful with who we are associating with, and even who we're listening to, there are so many prominent pastors and prominent leaders in the evangelical and fundamentalist part of Christianity who are moving to the left, and and we don't understand why that's happening. Maybe we do, because the world seems to be pulling in that direction, but it, it just pulls fundamentalists and evangelicals, especially the big teachers, the, the, the ones that people follow, to the left. It pulls them to the left. For an example, we've always had false teachers like Andy Stanley and Rick Warren. They've always been false teachers. But then you have men like Francis Chan and David Platt and Tim Keller, who are all considered false teachers today. It seems that they got pulled in that direction. They got pulled by that vortex to the left of wokeness and, and all the things that are going on in the world I think John Piper is one of those that that seemed to go right to the edge, and then he comes out, and then he goes back to the edge, and he comes out. And so we're just going to do a podcast on him and and try to talk about some of his, what his beliefs and some of the things that he's said, and try to figure it out and understand him better. Is that something we you think we can do? You, you, you need to pipe down, Keith. That's, that, that may be too aggressive. Uh, because it's John Piper. Yeah, it's Piper. Pipe, Got it. Pipe down, Piper. Got uh, it. Yeah, let's let's um let's look at that. I, I do think, yeah, for sure we need to as a those who are in a world that can be confusing, especially in the church, you know, I think that we are in a in a time where it things are getting especially confusing and you know, I don't think it's gonna get any better. I don't think it's gonna get more clear cut in in one sense. I mean I think I think in one sense it will get more clear cut because I think those who stand on the truth are going to become more and more a minority in, in terms of what's happening. So, you know, it shouldn't surprise us that we have people who are who are falling away on the edges. You know, people who would say, you know, that they were conservative Christians are now moving in directions theologically that seem to not make sense based on their history. But then, you know, when you start thinking about some of the things that they've stood for and said— uh, that it would make sense. And and there's a lot of pressure. I mean, there's a lot of pressure in terms of the culture and, you know, the homosexual LGBTQ plus movement mm-hmm. and, you know, the transsexual things that are, you know, happening. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of pressure to conform to those things. And there's a lot of pressure culturally, you know, the Black Lives Matter issue. That's, there's a lot of pressure culturally that way to conform to what, you know the the culture is saying and and if you don't want to conform then you're sort of out and there's some people that are on the edges that are on the edges of of you know conservative christianity that are you know more in danger of falling off 
that edge. I mean, the closer you are to the edge, the more in danger you are of falling off the edge. And so, you know, you don't want to fall in the pool. You don't stay next to the pool edge. And, and some of these guys are doing that. And so it shouldn't surprise us that as the culture turns up the heat, especially, you know, when it comes to to money and, and financial backing and, you know, people wanting to, you know, make sure that they're able to continue that flow of money, that that ends up being something that, that pushes people to capitulate, you know, because they don't want to be, they don't want to be marginalized. And, you know, because marginalization can potentially mean the bottom line being hit, you know, and, and you don't want that if you're, if you've got a big, large organization you're trying to deal with. And it's a tough, it's a tough situation culturally that we find ourselves in as, as a church. And so it does, shouldn't surprise us when people fall away. Now, having said that, I don't see Piper in that, exactly in that realm. You know, he's not a guy that, that I would say has fallen away. I mean, as a matter of fact, he's, I think we're going to talk about him being at Shepherd's Conference last year. And, and I think he's supposed to be, he's scheduled to be at Shepherd's Conference again this year. So, you know, he's a guy that at least the grace to you guys are, are seeing, you know, the, the grace community church guys are seeing as someone that they can lock, lock arms with, you know, in that public way. So he's a, he is a, an interesting case study. And I think that's why we are even looking at this. You think he's an interesting case study of how we, how we go about looking at who will lock arms with from a ministry standpoint and who we will, who, you know, it, who will quote from the pulpit, so to speak, you know, that sort of, that sort of idea of who publicly will will identify with. So as we look at John Piper, we see that he is sort of moving back and forth. He seems to be moving to the left, but then he comes back to the right. And again, we, we were talking about teachers that we know have never really been solid. Guys like Rick Warren, you know, the Purpose Driven Life came out, I don't know how long ago, it feels like 23 years ago. A lot of churches bought into that, but we all, there were things about it that weren't that weren't right. Rick Warren, you know, when you look at the purpose driven life, you see that there was problems with that, you know, from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But you know, he definitely has. What you're saying is, is that he's drifted even further. That he, you know, he started some of the things that he was saying in, in the purpose driven life were problematic even in 2002 when that was published. But that he has he has moved even further away and now you know as an example he he's not associating with the southern baptist convention anymore and so you know whereas before he was he didn't advertise that he was part of the southern southern sbc but but he no longer you know now is no longer part of the sbc and you know i think they asked him to leave uh, i don't think that it was a i don't i think i think it was i think it was mutual though i think that they that he had come to a point where he couldn't associate with them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, these guys, I mean, definitely in 2000, if you want to, if you want to use that as the divide, you know, 23 years ago to, you know, 2000, if you want to use that as a divide, yeah, I think that what we've seen in, in evangelical evangelicalism is in the church in conservative Christianity, you've seen these guys that, that, have, that were probably on, probably more on the left already but we, you've seen those guys move further and further away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Warren would be one example. You bring up, I don't, I think maybe even like, well, you said you, you brought up um, uh, Francis Chan. You know, Francis started out, you know, started out pretty solid. I went to the Master's Seminary, planted a church in, in uh, Simi Valley, very large, successful church, uh, conservative church. 
I, I, I knew people who had, who went there, knew uh, uh, one guy on the staff there and, you know, very, very, uh, a, a very good church. Very, a lot of people were excited about that church and, you know, he went off the deep end and, and moved away from the church and, and began to do some things and now has moved further and further to the left and, and, you know, theologically, and now is more, now is more, you know, associating with guys like Mike Bickle, definitely in terms of the charismatic gifts and charismatic, being charismatic, um, you know, they've, he's gone that direction. And so there definitely has been, you know, like you said, there's been a drift that has happened that, that, that a lot of these guys are drifting away and, and some have drifted, you know, even to a point where we can't even call them, you know, we have to say, yeah, that they're, they're, they're definitely associating with false teachers and, and potentially are false teachers themselves. Yes, and that's, and that's why we're doing this. We're just trying to, it's kind of a warning, trying to make you aware of these are things that we see as the world pull us to the left, and we can see many, many churches are going in that direction because, maybe because they want to be more popular, they want more people in the pews, and also I think they think that if they're more like the world, then people will want to come but I think you said it once in a sermon, which was really good. If there is no difference between the church and the world, then why would they want to come? Rick Warren has definitely been more worldly because uh, his, you know, his whole thing in you know a Saddleback Church was that you know he he really he idolized Robert Schuler and and followed after Robert Schuler's way of doing things in and terms Schuller of Schuler idolized Vincent Norman Peale, didn't he? Yes, I think so. And so, yeah, Rick Warren definitely wanted to to pull more, you know, to make the church more worldly because yeah. it, he wanted it to he wanted it to appeal to a wider audience. And you know that that idea of making the church like the world, you know, that, and he wouldn't, I'm sure, wouldn't say that. I mean, ultimately, he's. I think what his hope is is that he can bring them into the, the world, into the church, and and make them more Christian. But but as, I don't know that that's had the I don't know that that's been the effect. Well, and that's what we're going to talk a little about a little bit about with John Piper is because if you bring if you bring the world into your church, you're going to try to you're you're going to give them the gospel. You're going to hopefully change them. I think the bringing the world into your church does is it also changes your church. It, it, it anyway just opens a can of worms. Really, if you just stay true to the gospel and to preaching the truth, you don't have to entertain them. To give them the gospel, the gospel will do it itself, right? Yeah, it's not. We're certainly, in terms of what we're trying to accomplish, you know, the the, the whole idea is not to become more like the world. The whole idea is to make, you know, to, to the church to be set apart. The church yeah. is different. I mean, and so the church is, <clears throat> the church. You should walk into a church, and, and it should be different than the world. And you know, we should be trying to. You know that you know James says if you know we're talks about being friends with the world. I mean, it, you can't be both friends with the world and with God. Now, having said that, you know that you know James had a, a specific context he's t- he's speaking to and 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 understanding. But at the same time, at the same time, we can't be worldly and 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 we can't capitulate to the world and we can't you know we can't go after the world's riches and that really if you want to get down to it that really is the ultimate issue is wanting to have the world's riches while at the same time standing for the lord and that does not work mm. it doesn't it doesn't work and and that's 
if you think about, you know, the situation, you know, with what's going on with some of these guys, I mean, that's, that's ultimately the issue is that it's all about, it's all about going after the world's riches. Let's jump into John Piper and, and, and talk about some of the things that he said and some of the things that, that he's up to. So there's a statement that he made, and this is, it's been kind of controversial and I didn't really understand it until I really dug into it, but he has made the statement that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It, is that a true statement? And if it, is, if it isn't, then what's wrong with it? Well, Keith, I mean, do you think it's a true statement? You know, I do when I read it, right? Yes. It sounds right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But what, so what is, what is controversial about it? Well, I don't, I don't know that that particular statement is controversial as much as some of the stuff that goes with it. The Christian hedonism idea is what I think is more controversial when it comes to John Piper. And, and I, because I, I don't disagree with that particular statement that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. I think He does want us to be satisfied in Him and Him alone. I, I do think that He is glorified when we, when we find our satisfaction in Him, when we, when we seek out a relationship with Him, that, and that is our greatest desire. I think that he is glorified in that in that idea or in us doing that. So so I, I don't take exception to that statement, but what I do what does concern me in terms of Piper would be the you know the Christian hedonism idea. And you know hedonism has a negative it, it, it's a it's a negative word. Desiring comfort, desiring what you know yeah if the you spoils have, of life. Yeah, yes. He's the one that coined that statement, right? Yes. Yeah, he's the Christian hedonism definitely definitely is coined by by John Piper. Now he he says he draws that idea from other men like Jonathan Edwards and um, C.S. Lewis. Those are guys that that have definitely shaped his his theology um, in terms of his thinking. But but I I I don't the problem with using I, again it's a it's a negative word. It would be like I, I you know before we started I said. It would be. I was talking to you about, you know, saying, you know, Christian, you know, lusting after God. Well, I don't have a. I mean, in terms of the, the term lust, in terms of the Greek, the, the Greek term itself is a neutral term. You know, the Lord said, I think it's in Luke twenty three, that he, that he strongly, di- greatly desires to to eat that Passover, eat the Passover with them. I mean, that that he, it's the same word. Epithemia. He's, it's the same word that that is used that's translated lust in a in a negative way. And so, I don't you know like sexual lust. I mean, so it's the same. It's the same word. It's the same word that James uses in, in James chapter one. You know that 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 it, this lust gives birth to sin. You know the J, the James one passage there. So it's the same word, but and and the word itself is neutral. I mean, it's a neutral word, and and yet over you know in terms of how language works, it's it's come to have a a negative connotation. It's it's got this negative connotation of now when I when I say lust, I'm I think automatically of of sexual lust. I think automatically of of the negative, and so when I say I I, I lust after God. It, then that that automatically in the mind of of people in our culture is going to be like I have a sexual desire for God. Well, no, 
that's not what it actually means. It means that I great, have a great desire for him. I mean, I, and, and that's a, and I, I, that's a, that is a truth. I mean, I, I want to have a great desire for God, but, but because that word has a negative connotation, I wouldn't use it in that way. Mm. Right. Yeah. But, but Piper uses a word like hedonism in order to have like this, I, I, I would argue that he does it to be shocking. And, and I, I just don't think, I, I don't know that there's a place for that. I don't think that that's helpful. I mean, I think that that's, and, and I know that people listening or people, you know, many people would disagree with me and, and they would see it as a, as a positive, as something good. I, I just, I don't think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's actually unhelpful, you know, to, to think of things in that, in those terms, you know, in terms of that Christian hedonism, you know, that, you know, what he's saying is right, that God should be the ultimate goal, you know, or it should be our deepest desire. You know, it should be that that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. That's I, I you know, yeah. in terms of the in, in terms of the explanation, I'm I think I'm mostly there with Him. It's just wanting to use this term that is is I think has shock value in order to in order to get people to to listen. I guess I don't know what His exact goal is in doing that, but but that's I think it's I don't think it's helpful. Yeah, it is kind of a, it's kind of a big word that doesn't sound good. <laughs> so w- what he is saying by that is that if if believers should not be buying, if they buy a car, don't buy a new car. If you're buying a house, don't buy a big house. Is that kind of what he's saying? Well, I mean, I think that may be well, okay, that may be the the outworking of it, in the sense of, am I finding my Am I finding my satisfaction, trying to find my satisfaction in what I own and what I have in this world, or am I trying to find my satisfaction in God himself? Okay. And so if, I, if I'm trying to find my satisfaction in the world, then I'm probably going to go buy the big car or I'm going to go buy or the nice car and a big house. I'm gonna, those things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go headlong after those things. But if I'm trying to find my satisfaction and understand that my greatest, satis- my greatest fa- satisfaction should be in God himself, then I kind of get rid of those things. I don't need those things. I don't need the big car. I don't need, or the nice car. I don't need the big house. I don't need, you know, the big bank account. I can, I'm, I'm finding my, my, my worth. I'm finding my, my, I'm finding my satisfaction using his terms in, in Christ alone, in God alone. And, and, and that brings, that, that brings him glory, but that brings me the greatest happiness. And, and and I think he's right, right? I don't. I think that that we as Americans, for sure, tend to go headlong after those things instead of instead of going after the Lord and understanding that our greatest satisfaction is in Him. And so I think he's right in that. I just it's just how I I take exception, you know, in terms. Of, I don't think it's helpful how he packages the what he's doing. Okay. Now he sold a lot of books and <laughs> saying these things. So yeah. You know, if that's how we're gauging this, then you know he's been pretty successful, and and you know, and he's had more, and I and look, he's had more influence than I'll, you know, and than I'll ever have, and that's and I'm and that's okay, and so I don't want to, I, I I say that to say, I don't want to come across as just being the guy that's, you know, just just doesn't like him and is jealous of what he's done. I I. Look, I I I'm thankful for what the Lord is, how the Lord has used him, and I and I and I'm thankful for that. I'm just telling, I'm just saying, I don't think it's helpful 
some of the things that he says and does in order to gain attention. Yeah, and, and we're also trying to understand, yeah, where he's headed. And I think that's what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to tear him down. We're just trying to understand better what he's saying and what he's doing. Well, I think, yeah, and that and, and making sure, I think we're just trying to discern whether or not he's somebody that we can that we can lock arms with or, you know, what, where his, what his trajectory is. I mean, because, you know, you, you don't know for sure. I mean, I could go back, I mean, you know, as an example, when Francis Chan was in Simi Valley, was there any, was there any indications that he was going to go the direction he did? And so, you know, that's the question that we're asking is, you know, what is the, what is the trajectory of this guy in terms of where his theology is at? And, you know, there are some warning lights that flash when it comes to Piper. I mean, and that's something that we have to recognize. And, and the, I just, that's what we're trying to identify. And, you know, as an example, you know, he's, at, he's going to be at Shepherd's. He was at Shepherd's Conference. He was several, many years ago. He was at Shepherd's Conference and had, didn't come back for a long time. And then, you know, is back now and, you know, more recently. And, you know, just trying to discern that. And, you know, obviously I, I trust you know, that I trust John MacArthur and, and I would assume that he's got good reasons to bring Piper back and have him, you know, be there. But then, you know, we, but, but we need to be discerning ourselves and say, you know, what about him? You know, what, what's he doing? And, and is he somebody that we can, you know, that we can lock arms with? Is he somebody that we can recommend that his books? Is he somebody that we can recommend you go listen to his preaching and that's and that's what this is all about is trying to figure out you know kind of where he stands and and trying to understand what is helpful and what isn't in terms of his ministry i think it would be helpful for us if we're going to recommend books that we let people know where these guys are coming from and i think that's a good thing and so that maybe that's what we're doing here is we're you know cuz we so many people read books by, you know, the late Tim Keller and things like that. And if you know where he's coming from, you can have a warning of be careful of this. Be careful yeah, of that. And you can, I think we have to, I do, I do think we have to understand, you know, what each guy, you know, like a Rick Warren, you know, what's driving him and, and you know, why he says certain things. And, you know, when you read his book, you can put that in that, you can put that through that filter of, knowing you know what he's what he stands for and why and you know so when you read a tim keller you can know okay this is the context he's coming from this is what is driving him in terms of what he's saying and you know you can be discerning in that way i'm i you know i would say you know when you read guys like that 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 you need to be careful and you know need to be discerning uh you know if you, if you go back and and listen to you know mark driscoll is another guy that you know that we that that has that had started out seemingly okay but then really really drifted and you know he's he's probably you know he's a guy that we could talk about as well in terms of where his ministry's at and and what's happened with him but you know you do need to be very discerning and in knowing where these guys are coming from and who they are and you know I wouldn't say personally if you know as an example I I I love RC Sproul but there are certain things with, you know, in terms of theology that I wouldn't recommend you listen to R.C. Sproul with. And I know that I don't want to be too shocking to people. You know, as an example, Jonathan Edwards, I, I, I think Jonathan Edwards is a, was an incredible theologian. But at the same time, there's things about Jonathan Edwards that I'd be careful with that I would say, hey, 
you know, understand this is, you know, these are the things you need to be thinking about when you read Jonathan Edwards. You know, it's funny because one of the things that, you know, that, that was kind of shocking when I went to seminary was that, you know, the, they we end up reading commentaries from guys that are that are liberal theologians and you know you end up using those commentaries and then there's guys that, that are not even believers that you're using their commentaries and you know you, it's not that you don't use those it's funny because you know with a, a lot of the liberal, liberals you'll sit there and read the commentary and go this is junk this is junk this is junk and then they'll say something incredibly profound and and you know you'll be like oh my goodness that's that's gold and you'll pull that out, and then right after that, they'll say, "Well, but it can't be that. It can't. They, this can't be the truth because that, you know, I guess it's just too profound that it can't be the truth." But then, you know, it's like, but you know, you do have to, you do have to have a discerning, you, you know, idea of being able to be discerning in terms of what's what you're taking and what, and you know, what their context is and what, you know, where they're coming from. You do need to know those things in order to be able to to pick the flowers and leave the weeds. Yeah, and the big question I have is I I really struggle with because people have asked me Tim Keller who it seemingly went left. So do you recommend the stuff that he wrote earlier and like even with John Piper, do you recommend the stuff that he wrote maybe 20 years ago when he seemed like he was even more solid? And then we have books like Radical by David Platt and Crazy Love by Francis Chan. I wouldn't recommend reading those books at all because these guys all went left. But were they always completely woke, false teachers? Yeah, that is. I mean, those are good questions. I mean, there's also the like John Stott and and Martin Lloyd Jones, and you know they went their their separate ways. But do you know do I listen to John Stott? You know, in terms of things that I that I can trust that are mm. that are right, and you know. And I think I think the answer is is that, and answers are always nuanced, is that we need to be aware of what's problematic. We need to be we need to be fiercely biblical. I would say we need to be Bereans in terms of these people, uh, you know, taking these things to scriptures to, to the scriptures to see if these things are so. I think what I struggle with is someone who is you know, like in terms of maturity that doesn't have the discernment to actually listen to someone and say, yeah, that's, that's good. And that's not good. You know, it's interesting. You ask about, do I, you know, as an example, and something older, if somebody has drifted away, do I recommend something older? What I find is that once you find, once you see the drift, once you see that, that has actually happened, then you can actually look back at their stuff in the past and go, oh, you know, that's where they were coming from. You actually see clues in their writing. You see clues in what they're saying 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, that shows where they were actually drifting. You know, if we had we been discerning back then, we would have seen that drift even back then. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that, I mean, I think if you read Crazy Love, you can see a little bit. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure if you if you go back and read the Purpose Driven Live, you can yeah. see where Rick Warren was headed at that point. If you go back and read, now I was never a fan of the Purpose Driven Life personally. Um, yeah, I, w- I couldn't get yeah. through it. Yeah, <laughs> I was never a fan because he was take he he tended to take scripture out of context and yeah. use what I think the biggest problem with the Purpose Driven Life was he would use these these liberal more liberal translations. The message, yeah, in order to make a point. 
and and he was taking taking scripture out of context, and he would just find the the translation that best fit his argument. And you know that's called that's eisegesis. That's not exegesis. Yeah. And I'm I I want to be fiercely exegetical, not eisegetical. And you know, reading taking my my theology out of the text as opposed to my theology and reading it back into the text. You you can you can definitely see the the hints in their writing to where they're going and what. Billy Graham's grandson, pastor Julian Tavidian. I mean, he he taught hyper grace, and mm-hmm. and and you know he fell into some sinful sinful things that that in terms of his marriage and and had mm-hmm. had some issues going on there. And so, but you go back and you look at you know the stuff that he was writing, and you can see that you can see it. You can see the dangers that he's that he's you know what he's where he's at. You know, in terms of what he was writing prior to even being found out that there's a problem you know, with his life. And so, you know, the, you go, you can go back and you can see these guys, but, you know, what we're trying to do is be discerning, you know, before that happens, you know, so that, you know, so people don't get hurt. I mean, that's what I, that's my big concern when you know, these guys fall away, yeah. you know, that, you know, you, people, people end up putting these guys on a pedestal and, oh, well, so-and-so is so great. And, you know, he's got this and got that. And then all of a sudden you find out, He's got all these things that are he's, that he's doing, and and his life is is not good, and and but then you go back and you look at the theology, and you look at the things that he was teaching, and you can see the you can see the direction that they were going, you know, and you know prior to that fall, and you know this is about we we kind of framed this around Piper. I think the reason we framed it around Piper is because you know the question the question that we have is is that. How do we make how how do we be discerning about who we would actually link arms with, and how do we how do we, you know, in terms of you know, because he has some associations that we wouldn't have, or we wouldn't you know that we wouldn't may, may have those associations. So, do we link arms with Piper when he has all these other associations that are problematic? You you just mentioned he associates with people with bad theology, false teachers. He he brought in. This is going back a few years now, but he bring, he brought in Mark Driscoll. He Piper had this big Desiring God conference. Brought in Driscoll in two thousand six. He brought in Rick Warren in two thousand ten. Uh, Louis Giglio in two thousand eleven. Francis Chan in twenty eighteen. All speakers at his Desiring God national conferences, and then he also at at these conferences he 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 throws out all these accolades to Mike Bickle, who is at IHOP, who is. You know, we would consider a complete false teacher. What do we say to someone that says, "Look, I don't want to deal with the politics of all this. I just want to go and praise God and and worship God." Well, I don't know. I mean, I, it's interesting because I I did listen to Piper talk about this is several years ago. Earlier today, I talked. I listened to him talk about Mark Driscoll, and you know, like Mark Driscoll, he I think he felt like he he actually had a relationship with him, a close relationship with him, and I think he. I think I've even heard him say, he didn't say it in the video I listened to this morning, but I think I've even heard him say that he wanted to have a positive influence on Mark Driscoll, that he saw Mark Driscoll as a guy who had a lot of influence and that, you know, that was sort of a a guy that people were looking to and he wanted to reach out to Mark Driscoll and actually have some, a positive direct, you give him positive direction, mentorship. And I can appreciate that. I certainly can appreciate that. And, and, you know, it's funny because Mark Driscoll and John Piper have some. There, there's definitely some parallels there in terms of their the, their use of language. Not that Piper, you know, because 
Driscoll's known as the cussing pastor. Not that Piper, I, I don't think he's ever cussed from the pulpit, but uh, but he does have a tendency toward using uh, language and using language in a way that's shocking, and he does have a, the tendency to do that in order to make a point. Driscoll would do the same thing. He was very, he loved to use shocking language to, to make a point. And so, but but I think that, you know, Piper saw himself as being a mentor to Mark Driscoll, and unfortunately that you know, backfired uh, in terms of where Mark Driscoll went. But a lot of people have heard the Mars Hill story through the podcast and what, you know, what was done, what happened there and some of the things that Mark Driscoll did and, and how he handled himself. And now Mark Driscoll has, you know, reappointed himself in ministry in, in Arizona. And so, you know, I, 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 do, I do think that, that Piper, it does seem like Piper in his mind has a positive, like I, I want to be a positive influence for these guys. And, you know, like a Francis Chan, I think is a, probably another example of someone who he would reach out to because he saw Francis Chan as having a lot of influence for the gospel. And so, you know, in terms of, in terms of your your specific question, you know, why why does I mean, how do I look at this and do I just lock arms and just say I just want to hear the gospel and everything's okay? I think we have to be very discerning. I mean, I don't think we can just go. We should just go out and just listen to anybody about anything. You know, that's a, that's a very, you know, it's funny because the, you know, that's, again, we talked about, I think this is another podcast, but in Acts 17, Paul went to Athens and, and he said, he said, look, you know, he's preached the gospel. And, you know, some people would say, said, you know, we'll hear you again. And the idea was, is that, you know, they would listen to a lot of different ideas and a lot of different people and they would, they were, they would philosophize about those things. And I think that that's a, there's a danger in leading a life that says, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm more of a philosopher. I, I can listen to this guy and I can listen to that guy and I can get good stuff out of this guy and good stuff out of that guy. And I think what, I think the danger with that is, you know, sort of losing yourself in terms of losing, you know, you're having your theology just be kind of watered down and not you don't really land anywhere, and and you know you're there's a there's a danger to that. You know I'm I'm all for it's funny because it's funny because you know Acts you know the Bereans and then you have the guys that in, in Athens and and I think I think they're right there together the two stories and you know you have the Bereans who were you know noble minded and you know they they took the things that they heard to scripture to see if the, these things are so and then you have the people the men in Athens who were more you know they wanted to philosophize about things and you know we'll hear you again you know we'll you know that sort of thing instead of instead of being noble minded like like the Bereans and so you know I think we need to be more like Bereans in in terms of how we handle you know is we we if somebody says something we take it to scripture to see if these things are so. And I would say that, I would say that even from people we trust. Now, you know, as an example, I, I trust, you know, MacArthur and his ministry. Yet, I'm not going to accept something he says just because he said it. Just because MacArthur is saying it, I, I, I'm not going to say, yeah, that's got to be right because MacArthur said it. Mm-hmm. No, if it's if he has actually used sound exegesis to come up with that, I mean, in terms of what he's saying, and I can follow his exegetical process back to scripture, 
then I'm an agree. I, I'm an agreement. Now it's interesting because I, you know, most of the stuff that MacArthur says, I would say you is provable. You know, you can actually go back and and see it. You know, you can actually do the exegetical work. You don't have to just take his word for it. You know, and so I would just say, you know, if you're going to listen to guys like, if you're going to listen to guys like Driscoll and and if you're going to listen to guys like Francis Chan, if you're going to listen to those guys, you better be using do. You better know know how to do your exegetical work in order to to make sure that what they're saying is true. And that would be what I would say, because if you don't, you're going to end up in this, in this area of like soft theology of like, I'm just going to be soft and, and I don't have any, I don't stand for anything. And, you know, and those who don't you know, that don't know where they stand, I mean, that's soft. That's, and they're, they're in danger. We believe at, at Grace Bible Church, we, we are very strong. We believe doctrine matters. It's, it's really important. And if you, get, if you get it wrong, it can lead you down a wrong road. I think I've heard you say if, you know, when they launch a missile, if it's off by an inch when it starts, it, it's going to be off by a mile when it gets there. Some of this stuff is just off. In terms of, I'm, I think our biggest thing is to be discerning. Yeah. You know, be discerning about when... You know, when Piper says, when Piper talks about Christian hedonism, be discerning about that, you know, in terms of really take that to Scripture and see if these things are so. And, you know, and, and I and definitely if you listen to a guy like Piper, you know, be, you know, pick the flowers, leave the weeds. But you got to know what the weeds are, right? And you got to know what the flowers are. And, and, and here's, what I, here's what I struggle with. If I just give a if I give a resounding stamp of approval for Piper, then when he shows up at a place like, you know, with Francis Chan, or he shows up with Mike Bickle, or he says something positive about Michael Bickle, and then all of a sudden, I'm concerned about someone who's not as discerning saying, "Oh, well, Mike Bickle must be a great guy," you know, I can I can start listening to him, and and then we end up going down this road. They end up going down this road that that. Is a, is problematic, you know, incredibly pro- problematic, and so that's my big concern about. That's actually my biggest concern about a guy like Piper locking arms with these kind of guys. Is that you know, in or at least you know, having these contacts. Is that if I say okay, you know, as an example, if I if I if I quote Piper in the pulpit, which I I'm sure I've done, and you know, then he's had these contacts with these other guys. You know, now all of a sudden I've given my stamp of approval to not just Piper, but potentially to these other guys that he's having contact with. And, you know, and I, that ends up being very, very confusing in terms of the body of Christ. And I, I'm, that does concern me and, and it concerns me and how he, it's, it's certainly, I'll use, I'll use my term from earlier with Christian hedonism. It's not helpful. It's not. And so, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's potentially problematic for the church. Yeah, and, and I think what caught our eye and what really popped <laughs> was when he came out and supported Black Lives Matters and then also talked about pacifism, and then we haven't even touched on that, but you know, it, it, that's what caught my eye, and I said, wow, he is really drifting to that. We talk about wokeness and all these things, but he didn't quite go all the way. He stopped at that at that point, and I'm not sure what his view on on Black Lives Matters would be today. He does have a real reverence for the church service, the sanctuary. He doesn't he doesn't believe in bringing coffee and he doesn't believe in humor should be used at all in the pulpit, which I'm not a real 
joking around guy either, you know, in the pulpit, but uh, coffee and things like that. I mean, I don't think he, and I don't, I should have researched this, but I don't think he's ever come out in favor of critical race theory. That would be another red flag. But that's all we're trying to say is that, that let's watch John Piper and see where he goes. He is still, I think he has to be solid because he wouldn't be at Shepherd's Conference if he wasn't. Anyway, that's kind of what we wanted to do with this show today is, is just say this is, this is, these are concerns that we have for some of these guys. And as Shepherds, we're trying to help people understand just, just where they're going and, and keep an eye on them. Like you said, you know, check their, check what they're saying with, with scripture and, and. Well, that, that, that's the biggest message here because I mean, like he, he has the, you know, like we, we talked about before we started this, he has the seven points of Calvinism, you know, that, that historically there's been five points of Calvinism. And I think he adds double predestination would be one and oh that the the path that we're on that god has us on is the is the best possible path like it's it's leading to the best possible outcome and Mm. and i do agree with that by the way i'm i i don't i'm not a double predestination guy but um yeah that's that's a hard one yeah but i you know there there are some things about John Piper and his theology that you do need to be careful with. That would be I mean, he is a double predestination guy. That that double predestination in that not only does God elect some to salvation, but he the ones that are not elected that he's he has chosen for them to be to be damned or to you know that they would that they're vessels vessels of wrath. He's chosen them to be that, and 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 I I think what's hard about that is that I. Or what I would con- what concerns me about that is that that you know everyone is destined you know there is everyone on their own path would it would go to would is gonna gonna suffer God's wrath that God chooses some not because of anything they've done not because of you know their own because of something special about them but He chooses some to to for salvation and and but. You know, just because he, the others are not, they can't get to, they can't get to hell, and look back and go, it's because God chose me to be here, right? I mean, that's that's the problem I have with pre, double predestination is that that they're going if if God has chosen them that way, they're going to be able. I mean, in my mind, logically, they're going to be able to say to the Lord, Lord, why did you make me this way? You know why did you why did you why did you destine me to to hell? And no, I don't think anybody's going to be in hell going um, saying that. I think they're all going to know that they chose that they of their own volition they acted in such a way that they went to hell. It was their, they they didn't they weren't coerced. They weren't chosen to be a certain way. They did it of their own. I mean, that's who they are. And I don't, I don't think that they're going to be able to, to blame God in any way. They're going to, as a matter of fact, he's he he gets all the glory, you know, and and that they won't be able to sit back and go and shake their fist at God in that way. They can't. And so, so I don't, I'm not with him on that. And and I think you need to, you know, there there's some other things that he says in terms of salvation, you know, that he talks about. And it's, we don't have time to get into this, but but you definitely need to be discerning when it comes to to his teaching in terms of where he's at you know and even 
You said we talked about the Christian hedonism and, and you know, what's problematic there. But you need, to, you need to be discerning and taking these things to Scripture. You need to be able to, to exegetically be able to understand, you know, where he's coming from and to see whether these things are so. Yeah. Wow, that's a good way to end this podcast. I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, you've you've almost talked me into feeling that it's safe to go to Shepherd's Conference. Hey, why don't you pipe down? Wow. Yeah. Pipe. Yeah. Pipe it up. Piper. John Piper. You've been listening to Fresh Bread, the podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening.